Hi everybody, welcome to another week of the Luke Tullock podcast. I am Luke Tullock. So first things first, we had a great weekend of learning over in Melbourne with the muscle doc, Jordan Shallow, organized by Elite Vitality. Thank you to Kyle for helping us do that. Um, just a great group of people. So if you're listening, thank you very much for coming along. Uh, we, we love doing it and hopefully we'll get some more happening uh, very, very soon. So that's the first bit out of the way. Second piece is uh, the Fitness Fundamentals membership site is doing really well. I've had some really great feedback, so I'm really pleased that people are finding it good. It's really challenging when you have a few hundred people on there to try and cater to everyone. Obviously, they're all coming in with a different background and a different level of experience and understanding behind the material that is being presented. But so far, so good. It seems that everyone's really enjoying it. Uh, Next month, we've got some really cool stuff lined up. Uh, my good friend Rawdon Dubois, who's one of the best prep coaches in Australia, is going to be going through some of the stuff that he does in his physique prep stuff. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the things that I presented on at the Systems in Synergy workshop or seminar that we did last weekend in terms of cognition and nutrition. Um, and then the following month, we got a whole bunch of cool stuff happening that I've just lined up. So I'm very excited about that and we'll announce more details when the time comes. So if you're interested in that, you can take a look. There's a 30 day free trial and it's really inexpensive anyway. I'm just trying to get the information out to as many people as possible. It is at www.luketullock.com slash membership. I'll put the link in the show notes so you can have a look at that. Okay, so today we are going to talk a bit more about the endocrine system. I get asked a fair bit about hormones and the endocrine system and all this kind of stuff, uh, particularly in relation to things like melatonin and things like that. Like, does it affect our regular output of, of melatonin if we supplement with it? So hopefully this will provide a bit more nuance and a bit more depth to your understanding about what hormones actually are. And I think maybe some of it might go a little bit over some people's heads, but hopefully most of it is pretty understandable and it helps you dip your toes in anyway. We're not going to go too in depth. All right, so I'll start with a general definition of what hormones actually are. So a hormone is simply a chemical messenger that is secreted into the bloodstream. Now, the reason why that's important is because there are other chemical messengers that are not secreted into the bloodstream and they just work in a very local area around them. So these chemical messengers, these hormones are secreted into the bloodstream and that means they travel all around the entire body. They are produced by specialized tissue types. So various specialized tissues will secrete their own little hormone and they're involved in long distance communication. So if I want to affect a tissue on the other side of the body or quite a far way away from a cellular perspective, then a hormone is the way to do that. If I'm just communicating to the cell next door to me, I'm not necessarily gonna need to use a hormone. So they're there for long distance communication. They're secreted into the blood. And essentially what happens is they literally just float around the blood and they bump into everything until they bind to a receptor. Now, we often refer to this as a lock and key mechanism where the receptor is a specific shape that will fit the hormone very, very well, uh, almost perfectly. There are some hormones that look quite similar to others or some molecules that look quite similar to others that can bind to their receptor. But essentially a hormone is actually a protein structure, generally speaking, with a 3D shape. 
And so the receptor is also a 3D shape that can accept that, that same, uh, its corresponding hormone. And they tend to have quite a strong effect at low concentrations. They will exert their effects as long as they're present. Uh, and so they'll hang around in the blood and continue to bump into and bind to receptors until they are degraded by enzymes in the liver or the kidneys to be made inactive. And we, that'll happen over time. So we, we tend to refer to this concept of half-life. And a hormone's half-life is the amount of time it takes to reduce its concentration by half. So if something had a half-life of two hours, we would expect that uh, you know if you had a certain concentration of that hormone, after two hours, that concentration would be at 50%. After another two hours, it would be at 50% of that. And generally, most hormones are considered done, gone, completely metabolized after four to five to six times through. So there are different categories of hormones. There's a bunch of different, different hormones that are used within the body. Each have their own particular characteristics. So they're all synthesized and stored a little bit differently. Uh, their release patterns may be a bit different. Their half-life is all different between them. Where the receptors are generally located and the types of receptors they have can all be a little bit different. Um, some are derived from amino acids and we call those amines. Some are peptide hormones like insulin. We have the steroid group, which is cortisol, androgens like testosterone, estrogens. Those ones are all derived from cholesterol. We have the catecholamines, so epinephrine and norepinephrine. These ones are derived from tyrosine. Um, you probably know them more colloquially as adrenaline or noradrenaline, which is the old English medical terminology, but most people will call it epinephrine or norepinephrine this time. And then we have the thyroid hormones, so thyroxine, which is T4, that's derived from tyrosine as well. And so there's a bunch of different types of hormones that are kind of structurally similar um, that can interact with similar receptors, but they all have their own unique characteristics. So that's a bit of an overview of what hormones actually are. I want to talk a bit more about how they're released and controlled within the body. It's basically managed by a reflex system. So we will see a stimulus of some sort. We'll have a sensor within the body pick up that stimulus. It will integrate that. In other words, it will send that to the brain, for example, to make a decision on what to, what to do. We will then have an output and a response come from that. So it's this sort of reflex system loop. Now, there is a really important part of the way hormones are released and controlled called a negative feedback mechanism or a negative feedback loop. And what this means is that when the hormone initiates a response, it will turn down the stimulus and this re results in less hormone release. Um, so this is kind of how the nervous system will integrate with the endocrine system because the nervous system is really what's picking up the stimulus in most cases. So signals picked up by the central nervous system can produce a hormonal response. So for example, an emotion. If you feel angry or scared, um, you might get a release of catecholamines, epinephrine and norepinephrine, or also known as adrenaline. So, you know, those signals picked up by the central nervous system can actually produce this hormonal response. And many of the hormone secreting cells are actually located in the brain. A big example of this is the pituitary gland. So we have this integration of the nervous system and the endocrine system joining together. And 
We often refer to this as a pathway or an axis. So you've probably heard of something if you've been in the in the personal training game for a long enough time. A lot of people talking about the adrenal axis or the whatever axis. And essentially that's just a pathway that these these sensory mechanisms integrating into so stimulus, sensor, integration, output and response, that's basically a pathway or an axis. It's the same thing. So it is basically a chain of events that cause a hormonal release. One hormone is responsible for the release of another hormone, which is in turn responsible for the release of another hormone, and it goes through this loop. These pathways can get pretty complex, but what it does and why it's set up that way is because it allows better regulation and integration of various hormonal effects. And this ties back into the feedback loop concept that I just mentioned. So again, we have a stimulus that's picked up by a sensor that's then integrated and we have an output and response come from that. So here's an example. We have cortisol release happening in the HPA axis or the HPA pathway, which stands for the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. So here's how it works. The hypothalamus will release a hormone called corticotropin releasing hormone, CRT. CRT will then go and bind to another part of the brain, receptors on the anterior pituitary gland. The anterior pituitary gland then releases another hormone. This other hormone is called ACTH, which stands for adrenocorticotropic hormone. So you can see it's starting to get a bit more complex now. So now we have our second hormonal release, and that ACTH will then go to another part of the body, the adrenal cortex located on the kidneys. It binds to receptors there, and then the adrenals on the kidneys will release cortisol. So we have this loop or this pathway where we have you know multiple different sites being hit until we finally get a cortisol release at the adrenals now we can have different types of negative feedback that affect those loops so we can have a short loop negative feedback where basically the release of hormones from the pituitary feedback and they suppress the original releaser of of uh, corticotropin releasing hormone the hypothalamus so in our example, we had ACTH being released from the pituitary gland, and that would signal less CRT earlier on in this whole pathway to be released from the hypothalamus, and that sort of reduces the amount that's coming forward and all of the different steps going ahead of that. So we call that a short-loop negative feedback. A long-loop negative feedback is when the last hormone in a pathway signals the suppression of the first signaling hormone. So in our example, we had... CRT being released, then we had ACTH being released, and then we had cortisol being released. So in our example, having that release of cortisol would actually cause less CRT to be released in the first place. And that eventually means that less cortisol is gonna be released further down the chain. So that's how a feedback loop tends to work. And that means that the hormone is never released in quantities that are too large, that are gonna to cause too much of a disturbance of you know, your regular homeostatic state. Now that happens in quite a lot of examples of hormones where the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland in the brain are responsible for a lot of hormonal signaling that ends up happening further down in this big axis or pathway. So the hypothalamus is a region in the brain that sends hormonal signals to the pituitary, generally speaking, and it's responsible for the release of things like dopamine, thyroid hormones, uh, corticoids, 
growth hormones, that sort of thing. And the pituitary gland itself has two halves. It has the anterior and the posterior or the front and back. And it's responsible for the release of hormones that then go on to stimulate peripheral targets. So organs, organ tissues. So when the pituitary gland releases stuff, like in our example, it's actually sending a message all the way down to the adrenal glands, which sit on the kidneys, uh, which is obviously not in the brain. So that has a peripheral target in the distance that it then releases to. So that hypothalamus and pituitary axis is something that exists in quite a lot of different hormones, feedback loops or axes. Now, if that was sort of complicated for you, those are actually fairly simple interactions that we've looked at uh, in that example there. But every cell in the body is actually under the influence of multiple different hormones interacting under various conditions all the time. And that's always changing. So we have multiple hormones acting on a cell at the same time, and that can produce effects that might not be typical of what we associate with any single hormone by itself, um, which can then make it much more confusing, right? There are basically three different ways that a hormone can interact with another hormone. We could have synergy occurring, we could have something called permissiveness occurring, and we can have antagonism occurring. Synergism is when we have two or more hormones interacting and their effect is more than just additive. So it's basically like having one plus one equal three. Um, some hormones will accomplish similar effects via different pathways or mechanisms to the other hormones and they sum together and they create something that's greater than the sum of their parts. Um, an example of this are hormones that can raise blood glucose. If your blood glucose drops, it's really dangerous. It's not good your brain really needs glucose. So hormones that can interact and synergize to raise blood glucose are things like glucagon, cortisol, and epinephrine or adrenaline. They actually have a synergistic effect on raising blood glucose levels. And that way we can get a much more powerful effect than any of those one hormones working by itself. The second thing I mentioned was permissiveness. And this means that one hormone is not fully effective unless another hormone is present. So we often use this as um a phrase when we're talking about if we need like sort of a minimum amount of something so to give you an example vitamin c is permissive for collagen synthesis taking more and more and more vitamin c does not mean you synthesize more and more and more collagen it just means that we need a sort of a minimum base level of vitamin c presence to go ahead and synthesize collagen so hormones responsible for growing the reproductive system are a good example of this they can't work normally without thyroid hormone being present but thyroid hormone by itself can't cause any reproductive growth alone. It's permissive to the sex hormones that are responsible for growing the reproductive system. The third thing I mentioned was actually antagonism. And this means two hormones are going to work against each other. And this often happens when they compete for the same receptor. So remember to the start when I said the hormones that have a similar shape might be able to bind to the same receptor in that lock and key mechanism. And when we have two hormones competing for the same receptor, we call these competitive inhibitors because what happens is sometimes a hormone or a molecule will bind to a receptor and occupy that car spot. It basically means the hormone that has an effect on that particular spot can't bind and do its job. The competitive inhibitors will compete for a receptor and bind to it, but they don't actually activate it. 
And this is a mechanism by which many pharmaceutical drugs work. So if you wanted to block the effect of a molecule or a hormone, you could use a molecule that looks really similar that can bind to that receptor, but doesn't actually have the same physiological effect as that hormone. But you're occupying, you're occupying a space where that hormone could have bound and actually done its job. And so we call that a competitive inhibitor. We could have also something called a functional antagonist. So a functional antagonist is basically when we have two hormones with opposing physiological effects. An example of that is that glucagon will raise blood glucose levels, whereas insulin lowers blood glucose levels. So these two hormones are antagonistic to each other. They're functional antagonists. They do basically the opposite job within the body. Now, generally, the amount of a hormone secreted will determine its effect. And if we have more secretion, we're going to have a stronger effect and vice versa. Less secretion, uh, a less pronounced effect. However, the receptors can have different levels of responsiveness to hormones. So when we're talking about the level of a hormone in your blood, what we're missing is how many receptors are there available for that hormone to bind to and where are those receptors located? A good example of this is estrogen. Estrogen can actually change the expression of certain receptors on different tissues at different parts of the body. The fat cells in the upper body will have a different receptor expression compared to fat cells in the lower body when we have a high level of estrogen, and that can affect how easy it is to liberate and burn fatty acids from there. And that's partly responsible for why women will tend to store fat on their hips and legs, whereas men will tend to store fat more around the belly because of the type of receptor that is expressed in different areas of the body, making it more difficult for fat-releasing hormones to interact with them. We can also have a situation where receptors will get down-regulated. And down-regulation can occur if there are really high levels of a hormone present for long periods of time. A really good example of this is in insulin resistance. Insulin resistance is when the insulin, the hormone insulin, is no longer producing a powerful signal when it binds to an insulin receptor. Insulin resistance will occur when we have chronically elevated levels of insulin, which make the insulin receptor more or less deaf to that hormonal signal, meaning we have to secrete more and more and more insulin to get the same hormonal signal through or the same strength of that signal through. There are also problems that can be potentially made worse genetically or otherwise with second messenger systems within the cell. Second messenger system is basically what happens after the hormone actually binds to a receptor on the cell. So what will happen is the hormone will bind to a receptor and then within the cell, we have a messenger system that carries that signal through to the relevant machinery inside the cells. And we call that the second messenger system. So sometimes the second messenger system can have issues there where it's not quite communicating that signal properly to the inside of the target cell. Okay, so I think this is probably getting a bit confusing for people who are not super familiar with biology and chemistry. So just to give a quick overview, the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland in the brain control many of the hormones that are involved in control of metabolism. 
Feedback loops will control hormone levels and they can be relatively simple or they can be quite complex. We have hormonal receptors that usually reside on the surface of a cell and the cellular responses to hormones binding to the receptors will involve altering existing proteins or making new proteins inside of the cell. The target cell response to a hormone can be modulated by the amount of a hormone that is produced, but it can also be affected by the number of receptors we have. And cells can upregulate or downregulate the receptors to change their response to a hormone. We could have unusual conditions or pathological conditions resulting from too much of that hormone being secreted. We could have inadequate hormone secretion, or we could have an abnormal target cell response to the hormone through how that message is conveyed on the inside of the cell through that second messenger system. Some hormones will even compete for their receptors and many hormones will synergize with other hormones to produce a much stronger effect in some cases. So that's a quick overview. I hope you found this a bit useful. I hope that kind of sheds a bit of light on the complexity of what we're talking about when we mention hormones and when we're trying to blame one hormone for a certain thing or if we're trying to work out what one hormone does. It really does depend on the context of a lot of these factors that I've spoken about. So my goal with this one is not necessarily to you know, give any answers to that, but just to kind of highlight some of the stuff that's going on in the background and the layers of complexity that are there when we're talking about these things and trying to convey it in a simple and easy under to understand way um, to our clients or to the public. Anyway, hope you enjoyed that. If you did, please let me know. Uh, please share this with someone if you found it interesting or helpful. And finally, if you do like this kind of content, I've broken down a lot of complex topics into stuff that is a little bit more palatable with nice visuals in the membership site, The Fitness Fundamentals. And if you'd like to check that out, you can do a 30-day free trial by visiting www.luketullock.com slash membership. All right, I'm all done. Thanks very much for listening, guys, and I'll catch you in the next one.